the spirit of worship, let's just grab our Bibles while we're in that posture and in that attitude. We'll do everything else. We'll shift it to the end of the gathering. Um, let's go ahead and turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to read the text. Um, and we're going to just dive right in. Dive right in. Verse 1 of chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at about four or five of these verses. Leave it at that and keep it moving. Y'all can put the timer up whenever y'all get a chance. Wait, yeah, don't worry about it. Um, verse 1. We would, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflown in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. We're back in our stewardship series today. Um, we have been in it, and of course, last week was still a part of it. Um, we, 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 we are back in it, and today we're going to talk about generosity. Say generosity. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to talk about generosity today because I, I believe this is going to be a very, very important thing that we get into um, um, uh, as a church. And one of the things that I want to kind of give some delimitations or, um, or some uh, 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 some things I want us not to be marked by in relation to how we walk through this time. Usually when a church begins talking about generosity because of uh, many of us who have had previous church experiences um, have possibly had some challenges with this idea of generosity and how it's being conveyed and feeling more manipulated than ministered to when it came to the idea of generosity. So today, I want, I want to just say, first of all, when we speak of generosity, we're talking more than just church giving. We're talking more than just church giving, but not excluding church giving. Amen. And, 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 so, and so I want us to dive in today with that type of attitude. I was hanging out down the street um, during, during a lunch break um, with Mr. Charlie at the barbecue spot on 25th and Diamond. And, you know, um, Sister L and all them y'all, matter of fact, that's, that needs to be a new spot for a piff. I'm just letting y'all know. It has the ointment. Amen. It has the ointment. Um, the, bar, the wings, woo, 
the greens. Woo! Uh, my wife had the whiting. But I, I'm not, that sermon's on generosity, not gluttony. So, so, so I'm just saying, you know, but that, that's, and it got a water ice spot right across from it, Eric's Water Ice. And that's, that's not my spot, you know what I'm saying, but it has my name on it, so praise the Lord. Um, but I was in there talking to them, and, man, I started getting in there with, 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 with Charlie. Charlie's about 65 years old. Oh, he had been in, been in North Philly about 30 years, um, country in a mug, country, 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 country. So he's a, he migrated. We got a chance to talk. You know, whenever somebody is from Philly making barbecue, that's all I'm going to say. The country, good. We got some, I'm just, that's all I'm going to say. So I'm down there, right? Hey, you know, and we, we end up, he said, you're a pastor. So they, they got Bibles, two, three, four translations. So they said, I'm glad you're here. They just start, they pull out their Bibles and just lay them out, taking orders, asking me questions. So it's crazy. So it's kind of Muslims was in there and other dudes. So it's like, yo, this is wild. Look at the Lord, right? So missional, right? But what was interesting to me is they started asking me a bunch of questions, but it was something that he said in the midst of that. He said, he said, he said, he said, Pastor, there are 500 churches in North Philly. 500. He said, he talked about a friend of his that hand counted. 500 churches. And so so, so I'm, I'm thinking about this and I'm wondering what is, for most people, the culture that they expect when they go to a particular gathering of the saints, of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I know that one of the things that, 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 that we've, we, we've experienced either overtly, covertly, explicitly, or implicitly was the misuse of talking about resources of God, i.e. money. Now, I want, you to, I want you to shut down right now. I want you to reboot everything. So I want, you to, I want you to close all the files that are open right now on your mind. The file of thief, robber, hireling, um, just after my money, I hate money, the Bible doesn't talk about, like, I want you to, I want you to go on there, take your, take your clicker, and I want you to drag that, I'm using a Mac, drag it, <laughs> drag it to the trash can, just drag it on in, just, di- and empty the wastebasket, because I want us to start over. I want God, all, for all of us, I, I've seen it before, the, the $50 line, the $100 line, the, the, the $1,000 line, and everybody stands up and, you, you know, you wait, and then you get pushed, and you fall back, and then you get a blessing based on the amount that you gave, right? I want you to, just stuff like that. We're, we're not dogging our brothers and sisters in Christ. However, I just want us to, I just want us to, I want us to, let's just, can we just do this together real quick as a representation? Thank you. Like, it's, get it off. I'm just telling because I know what we're going through right now. I know what we're going through right now. And so now, I, w- I want you to forget all that, but I don't want you to leave your brains at the door. Um, because the Bible said, gird your minds for action. So it doesn't say clear your mind, but gird your mind. That's biblical. Christians aren't supposed to meditate and clear our minds. We're supposed to, we're supposed to have something in particular on our mind. We're supposed to put stuff on our mind based on the scriptures. So now, let's, let's do a little background of this. I, I'm loving 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is, is, a, is, a, is a funny book. It's like a funny, hilarious book. Like all the Corinthian letters are funny. But this one in particular, <clears throat> it seemed by some to be a couple of letters put together. I think it's all connected. Um, you, you, if you remember from 1 Corinthians, we had a highly spiritually gifted group of people. Highly spiritually gifted. I mean highly spiritually gifted. They had prophetic gifts. They had tongue gifts, interpretation gifts, 
healing, all that. I mean, powerful, powerful gifting. However, they and, and it was all happening in the church at the same time. So you got a cat over here healing, a cat over here preaching, got another cat over here teaching, got another cat speaking, got another, and all this is happening at the same time. So it's just chaotic. <clears throat> People are eating, and so you, they got the, 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 um, the uh, elements, you know, are on there, and cat is, is eating ribs beside the wine and bread. It's just like, so you didn't know when the Lord's Supper began and when it ended. So you had a lot of spiritual gifting, just bad ecclesiology, um, selfishness, and then you had, so therefore pointing it down to high, highly, deeply, spiritually immature. So you had this deeply, spiritually immature. Paul sends a 13-chapter rebuke. He throws it at him. A couple of people, you know, respond to Paul like, good, man. And then there was some mature in there, even though most of the church was spiritually immature, based on 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to chapter 3. Then you get over to the, to the new book, you know what I'm saying, 2 Corinthians, and you, and you got Paul, you know, like some people saying, <coughs> send word back to Paul. They said, look, y'all remember what he looked like, right? Remember when he came here? Little skinny dude, you know what I'm saying? Little beanpole dude, you know what I'm saying? Coming, he, I mean, when he sent a letter, you think that dude is like 450 solid mass. <laughs> solid mass. You see him, he's scrawny, he's been beat up, eye swollen, um, a back with stripes all on it. Um, he's always getting uh, nursed back to help because of getting beat down. He's such a sucker, but he's sending these letters like he's a beast. He's not a beast. Paul gets word of it and sends him another letter. <laughs> so, 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 so Paul sends him a letter. Some people responded, you know what I mean? And so, and so right here you got, you got Paul sending a letter to help them to, to reframe things because his, his credibility is on the line. <clears throat> and so in, in the first chapters, he deals with the nature of the gospel and its impact on the Christian. And then he goes into now talking about a support piece, which is beautiful in this passage because he wants to talk to the Corinthians, I mean, the Corinthians, about the nature of every aspect of the spiritual life. In every chapter of the book of Corinthians, he's calling them up to a higher view and understanding of the Christian faith. So we get here right before this. We see that he's telling uh, uh, Christians to do life with Christians, but be on mission among non-Christians. Then he begins walking them through a, a, a few other particular things that brought him joy, things that brought him grief, proper repentance, improper repentance. Then his boy Titus. Now he comes here. He says, all right, now. This is what I want you to do. And then he dives into this section. So first point, first point, just one point, only one point today. As we talk about generosity, because now he's about to talk to them about money, but more than about money. The chapter, the chapters eight through nine really are not, they're not about money. Really aren't about money. And you will see how it's powerful, how money's kind of like the product, but it really ain't the chapter. Point. Generosity <coughs> is, about the, is about the posture of our souls, not the potency of our pockets. Generosity is about the posture of our souls, not the potency of our pockets. I, I like the first part of this verse. It explains everything, like in detail almost, <laughs> without giving the details. It says, he says, we want you to know, brothers... About the grace of God. Stop. Good stuff. We, we want you to know about the grace of God. The, the chorus of Elohim. The chorus of God. Of Theos. We want you to know the grace of God. And it's interesting right here that he says, I want you to know it. 
Now, the way he's using the grace of God here is very, very, very interesting. The way he's using the grace of God is not just talking about grace as unmerited favor. That's true, but that's a base meaning of a basic meaning, not base, but basic meaning of grace. But 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 he he he's he's helping the Christians at uh, Corinth to have a view of how to see grace when it's activated. Let me see what I mean. Let me let me see what I, see if I can make it plain. In other words, he wants them to understand and see when God is up to something from God's perspective. So when he says, I want you to know the grace of God, he's not just talking about, I want you to merely know the lexical meaning and the lexicon of it. He said, that's good. But he says, in light of the lexical meaning, which this varied, which is like five to seven to eight types of grace that he talks about in 1 Corinthians 8 and 9. We don't have time to go over it. When we go back through 2 Corinthians, we'll walk through it. But, the, but, the, but this one is, is, is the one that, that, that kind of is the linchpin, is the linchpin for everything, but you got to point back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, where he talks about in the midst of them being trifling, in the midst of them being raggedy, in the midst of chapter 1 saying they're divisive, in chapter 2 he said, in 3 he said they're spiritually mature, in chapter 4 y'all don't, res- y'all don't respect people, he said in chapter 5 y'all don't, y'all don't deal with sin properly, chapter 6 y'all Y'all, y'all, y'all taking each other to court and, and having sex with each other. Um, chapter 7 is your marriages, married people are taking their marriages to a crazy length and they're not sleeping with one another, with their spouse, and, and, and they're taking time and using legalism to not sleep with their spouse, even though they're getting with their girlfriend. So what's interesting is that church, the ones that were basically causing other Christians to stumble, um, uh, I mean, uh, all these people, he says in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, I see the grace of God on you. What? He, through the thicket of all of that sin, through the thicket of all of that muck, he says, I see evidences of God's grace. Crazy, right? Then he goes over here and he says, I see it on you. Now I want to show you how to look for it. Because <laughs> see, we as Christians don't know how to look for the grace of God. See, see, because chapter 4 of this book says that when we were non-Christians, the devil blinded our eyes from being able to see the gospel. Therefore, we couldn't see it, but when the gospel came, God removed those old goggles and put on grace goggles. Now that we have those goggles on, he says, now I want you to know the grace of God. Let me see if I can make it plain. Maybe I got some old church people in here. You ever seen the old mother stand up and... Put the Bible right here, hold their finger in their page, and go like that. I'm going to just make it real simple. And, and, and they get, get, get up close to that thing and, and just go like that. Just, just go like that. See, that's what Paul says I'm about to teach y'all how to do. I'm about to teach y'all how to go like that. What does that mean? Old Testament language, it means the hand of God. Seeing God active in something. Right. But it's not going to be activity that the normal person would be able to see. It's activity that only a person that's had the old goggles removed, new goggles put on and the milk wiped off of them so that they can see God active. So he says, I want you to know how to recognize when God's at work with people. Uh, see, I, I know y'all said we talking about ain't we talking about generosity. You can't be generous 
until you see the grace of God. He's going to let you know how that impacts generosity. So he says, I want you to know when God's hand is on something. And I want you to even be involved in when God's hand is on something. And one of the things that Christians, we must be able to do is see, is know the grace of God. Now I'm explaining more exegetically. If you don't agree with me, let's dive into this thing. Grace of God here is an exceptional effects produced by God's favor, his ability, his power, and his enabling. It's not just saving grace here. He's not talking about that in particular. He's talking about the product of saving grace and what it looks like when God is doing something, right? It's, it, one, one lexicon, I love the way he says it. He says, of practical proofs of goodwill from one person to another through a kind deed, benefit, favor, or a special gift. Beautiful. But it's talking about grace, right? So Paul desires for the Corinthians to see God at work in the lives of his people as an extension and even an evidence of his grace. Grace is a controlling theme throughout this chapter, these two chapters. Grace of God is in verse 1. Grace of God is in verse 6, verse 7, verse 9, verse 19, 9, 8, and 14. So there's something about this passage that lets us know that grace is a running theme through it because you keep hearing the word grace come up in it. Now, one of the things that's a misnomer here that a lot of people talk about is grace giving. There is no such thing as grace giving. All giving is grace. All of it is. Whether you believe in tithe or grace giving, both of them, we'll talk about that in a few weeks, but again, like, like, like the grace is the entire thing. And this is not a missionary offering. We'll talk about that in a second. It's not. It's a relief offering, and we'll talk about that in a second, which is not mission support. That's a, and that's a whole other misnomer that we sometimes come through in this passage. Varying ways in which grace is seen in this passage. Grace, referring to either God's unconditional kindness of lavishing display, just God acting crazy, just on the throne, just throwing grace at people. Like, it's, like he pitching, like he just throwing it. This is, like this is, what, this is what the type of grace that's talking about here. You know what I'm saying? Privilege or favor, number two type of grace in this passage, use of the honor or of the opportunity to participate in God's work. Act of grace, denoting the collection itself, that is, the, the, the gift itself. Give it, grace of giving, in other words, it's not grace giving, but grace of giving, referring to the various act of sharing or helping other believers, offering or charitable work of grace, uh, and then get, get grace of thanks. I can keep going. Just grace all over the place. It's beautiful in this passage how he's pointing them out and helping them to understand grace of God. Now, check this out. Now, this is the mind-boggling part. Now, he's going to say, now I'm going to show you what it looks like. See, I want you to know the grace of God, but I want, you to, I want you to know the theological and practical meaning of it. So what he does is he gives them an example of what it looks like. Stay with me, y'all. This is sweet stuff. Look at, look at the latter part of the verse. He says, the grace of God that has been given, where? Among the churches, plural, of Macedonia. Now, y'all got to understand Macedonia. Macedonia, <coughs> and Macedonia is one of the largest provinces in the Roman Empire, largest provinces. What's, what's, what's interesting about Macedonia is that it, there were three major church hubs in Macedonia, three major ones. I don't even have time to even talk about them because we'd be on something, something else. I mean, but you got, you got Philippi, you got Thessalonica, and you got Berea. Like, you got... You got the Christians that like eschatology, that's the Thessalonicas. You like the Philippians, 
you know, who, who Paul exhorts about some things, which we'll talk about in a second, and then Berea, the ones that check everything you say. Three, and then, but within each one of those sections, there are multiple churches within each city. Now, now, now what's interesting about the Macedonian church is, is, that they, is that they had a very, very difficult time because it says in the verse, it says, for in a severe test of affliction. Stop right there. Hold on. Paul just said, y'all, that I want you to know the grace of God. That's what he just said. But then he starts off by talking about the grace of God by talking about a difficult time that Christians are having. How in the world are you going to tell me about the grace of God and then telling me about hell breaking loose among Christians? How in the world is that the grace of God? And how, while there's fiery difficulty going on, can we even talk about the grace of God? Now, what's interesting is he, he didn't just say test. Like, James other one says, um, encount, uh, he says, count it all joy, my brother, when you encounter various trials. Same word. Just various, just different kinds. But here he says, uh, a severe test. So this is next level hurt. Next level pain. Next level fire. And so he's basically saying, I want to teach you of what it looks like that when there are multiple fires going on, because the word affliction here means to get jumped. I don't know if you ever got jumped before. I, I'll never forget the time I got jumped. I was, I was up the street from Howard University. Amen. Catching the, catching the, catching the bus home. 30 cats, 30 of them, we had on our Catholic school outfit. See, you know we was in trouble right then, right? So they coming up the street, females, dudes, and they surround us at the bus stop and begin to lighten us up. And then I said, why don't one of y'all fight me? Like, why all y'all got to fight me? So I started getting up, getting the one dude. I was getting the cat, too. Then all of a sudden, then they all came in and started lighting me up. Then I ran to the Safeway across the street. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? So surrounded, it means to be surrounded by crowds, to get jumped. He's basically saying Christians who everything in their life at the same time is punching the daylights out of them. Getting kicked, getting stomped, getting their teeth knocked out. He said, I want you to see the grace of God in this thing. He like laughing. I would say, that ain't funny, Paul. It's, it, I'm, I'm in pain, right? But what's powerful, what's powerful about the text, <laughs> what's powerful about the text is Paul is trying to get us to understand when Hell breaks loose here. Hell breaks loose here. Hell breaks loose here. Fires all around you and in you and on you. There is still grace to be recognized. <laughs> he said, there's this. He says, I want you to know how to not get it twisted when stuff happens difficult and what the posture and position and presence of a Christian should look like. And I call that the grace of God. So he goes down. And he says, a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy. Huh? Hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Did y'all hear that? Severe test, abundant joy. How in the world are you going through something where everything in your life is challenging? And then you, what's funny about God, know what I like about God? God always have the grace to match every situation in our life. There's no difficulty so overwhelming. What does this have to do with generosity? Everything. Stay with me. What's interesting is if, if your trials are here, God causes the joy in you to be here. See, he, he does put on you more than you can bear. But when he's helping you bear it, it isn't more than you can bear. 
Y'all get that tomorrow. I know what you. And so what God does is God says, I'll hurl a storm at you and activate joy at its deepest. And the joy here is both feeling and action. Not one or the other. Because God, God says, I, I mean, so, 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 so remember, a lot of us preach that joy isn't a feeling. That's not biblical. It is in many aspects a feeling, but it's the product of its storage in the soul of the Christian based on Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, when it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's one of the pieces of the fruit of the Spirit. Therefore, what God does when he takes you through something, allows you to go through something, and sovereignly appoints a storm for you, is he ignites the joy within you to overmatch, to drop kick, and to elbow the suffering, not removing it, but keeping you while you're in it. I mean, joy and suffering be be like this all the time. It'd be like this. It'd be like this. Joy ducking like this. Wow! You know, getting them out. You know what I'm saying? They fighting each other. Because the fight is really not with the situation, but your attitude towards it. (laughs) See, 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 see. It's nothing wrong with suffering. But the question is, how do you deal with it? When you deal with it with abundant joy, Guess what that's called? The grace of God. (laughs) If you're not operating properly when difficulty happens, you're not operating in the grace of God. So he says, first, I just want to show you that they go through a lot. And they have a lot of joy. But then he says, guess what, though? This is Paul. I can see Paul giggling while he's writing this, right? Just giggling. My grandmama used to call it snickling. It says, in their extreme poverty. What? What? Hold on, hold on. How, that's just bad. Like, like, you shouldn't even be a Christian. Like, like why? Why even trust? Why, why even go? <coughs> How in the world are you extremely going through? Everything's going bad. You got joy and people think you're crazy. People think you crazy. Okay. Then you broke on steroids. All right, let's talk about poverty and poor. Like, there's like four levels, I think. There's broke, there's poor, there's poverty, then there's extreme poverty. The worst is extreme poverty. They were extremely impoverished. You know why? Because when they, dis- when they um, 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 trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, Many of these people were business people, killing it in the city. Then all of a sudden, they became Christians. Then all of a sudden, people didn't want to shop from them anymore. So they lost everything because of the gospel. Some of them sold everything before they lost everything. Some of them were not born into poor families. The gospel made them poor. But I know what we'd say. Some people would say they're not in the will of God. They're not in the will of God. If they're poor, going through difficulty and acting like everything's okay, they're on something. That's what's happening, right? They're on something, all right. They're on the grace of God. (sighs) Smoking it. Right? It's okay to get lit up. It's just what you're getting lit up on. 
Roll you some grace of God right after the gathering. Lick that joint. Like, and, and use the trial to light it. Use your trial. Just hold it up to the trial. Say, light that for me, big dog. Bless the Lord. Y'all ain't know you can get off the grace of God, did you? But then he says after this, come back, y'all. Then he says after this. He says, I like this. I just want us to talk through this. Because this is rock. Like, I, yeah, I just like this, right? He says, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Do you hear what's happening in this Bible right now? They're going through difficulty, overflowed with joy, looking funny, lost everything, extremely impoverished, but they're wealthy with generosity. How do people who have nothing to give give something? How? How do people who have nothing to give? That's because generosity is not based on your pockets, but on your posture. Now, some of us say, well, I would like the posture and the pockets. I think I can. Let's look at this word wealth. So I had so much. Yeah, that's too much. Look, look out of my. Let me go over the wealth. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, help us. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Wealth here is spiritual abundance or prosperity. There is biblical prosperity in the Bible. We believe in that the gospel does bring prosperity here. We do. But not the kind of prosperity that men like necessarily. It's not the kind of prosperity that people would get excited about. Only people who had the goggles of the old self taken off and the goggles of grace put on. Let's explain this word riches. Let's look at some passages where this is. Ephesians 1.7 says, in him, we have redemption through the blood, through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Wow. <clears throat> Chapter 2, verse 7. <clears throat> so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Romans 9, 23 says, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Wow. So I'm just rocked by this right now that God makes every Christian wealthy. God does want you rich. God does want you walking in prosperity of soul. Indiscriminately, you're billionaires of soul. Infinity. Triquillion. Your soul is rich and fat, meaty and thick. And your life may not be. But he says you're rich, right? So when Paul uses this word, he is emphasizing the lavishness and the liberality of the riches that God is bringing into the life of God's people. Given their poverty, this word is clearly, of course, figurative, denoting 
not the actual size of their contribution to the collection, but the open-hearted and open-handed attitude. See, generosity here in this text means to be open-hearted and open-handed. That's very important because if your heart is not open, it doesn't matter what you have in your hand because you're not going to really be open. So generosity here means to be open-hearted and open-handed. But all generosity begins with the heart. The heart. So Paul dives in and he, he, he's telling the people about the wealth of their generosity on their part. Generosity also means openness and sincerity in sharing with others generously and liberally. The core meaning of this word means to be, to have simplicity of soul. And so it's beautiful here as we look at where these people are, where this church is, how God has given them the grace to be like this during a very, very difficult time. We call this perseverance consistency in the midst of adversity. And so that means they didn't allow the, the adversity around them to impact their generosity. In other words, because things are going difficult, I can shut Christianity off. No, difficulty calls for us to amp Christianity up. And so he said, don't turn it off right now, right? Now listen to how they gave. Hold on, before we go there, I just want to get some passages on this thing. Look at Exodus 35, 4. It says, <coughs> you don't have to turn there, but Moses says, said to all the congregation of the people, this, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of, generous, of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. Hold on. If the Lord already has it, why does he need them to bring the contribution if it's already the Lord's? Why? What does he do? Notice what he said first before he talked about the giving. He talked about their heart. He said those who are generous of heart, open-hearted, open-handed, let, let him bring the Lord's contribution. So even though they haven't given it yet, he's already calling it the Lord's. <laughs> now, all of it's the Lord's, but he's talking about a particular contribution. He's not talking about a amount or anything here. I like, I like verse 20 and 21. It says, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart, was, whose heart stirred him, everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting. Verse 22, so they came, both men and women, all who were willing of heart. Verse 29, all men and women brought the people, uh, uh, the people of Israel whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. This wasn't tithes and offerings. It was just something they just said, we're just going to get this, right? Exodus 36, love this. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for, uh, uh, brought for during the work of the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning. So that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, Moses, Mo, look. 
The people bring much more than enough for doing the work of the Lord that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. It didn't start with what they had. It started with who had them. And he, I, I wish we'd run into a problem like that. Oh, stop. Don't bring any more. You know, we're good. <laughs> we're good. Give it away. I mean, but he's saying here, man, in the level and depth of their generosity is very, very powerful. Luke 21, 1 through 4. I'm just giving you some passages that points to this thing. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put more in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. Now, what's interesting contextually, I was talking to a friend of mine, another pastor friend of mine, and it's interesting, contextually, this is an indication not just of how much she gave and her generosity. That wasn't necessarily what they were talking about, but it was an indictment against the nation because they had come so spiritually superficial that God was rejecting what they viewed as generosity and could not appreciate the value of this sort of gift. In addition, the most socially destitute has more to give in the eyes of God in this situation than the wealthy leaders. And it was an indictment against the spiritual condition of the nation, not just her giving, pointing to the fact that giving or generosity of soul is deeply connected to our spiritual vitality. It's real quiet right about now. So what's interesting, it says in the text, they gave according to their means. Now, how in the world are they giving according to their means? Their means is nothing. They ain't got nothing. So they gave according to their means, which means they gave very little. That means they had to pull out of something. Now, now check the scene here. It says, according to their means, and I, and I can testify, and beyond their means of their own free will. See that free will there? So check this out. Paul is in Macedonia writing this letter, right? This is, this is dope than a mug, right? He's in there, and he's chopping it up with somebody. He's just talking. Man, Jerusalem having a hard time, man. You know, they got more missionaries than us. They got more teachers than us. They have more prophets than us. Um, all the apostles are there except for you. Um, um, they got more evangelists than us, but they're going through great persecution and they're going through great poverty. So we're going to have to begin going out to the churches and begin sending the letters out to get some money to help the church of Jerusalem. And what happened was is some of the Macedonian elders and people found out. It's like, Paul, come here for a second. Um, what's happening? He's like, oh, man, yeah. It's a lot going on in Jerusalem, man. We need to, um, we're trying to send out a letter to help him. They got offended because Paul didn't ask them to help. He said, well, y'all, I mean, I, I mean, I understand what y'all trying to do. He, he said, but, you know, that's just, just fall back. It's all good because we need to get y'all some support. And they said, no. One dude took off his jacket, went out on the block, sold it, bought the loot in. Somebody took off something else they got. Somebody made, I don't know if they had weaves back then, cut hair off and sold their hair. I don't know what they did, right? But they found money. He says, and begging us earnestly, begging us. Somebody said, I got something to give. I got something to give. I got something to give. And so the, Macedon, the word went out through all of the Macedonian churches. 
And they just came out of nowhere with this crazy gift. Not, be, not necessarily the size, but they knew based on the posture of their hearts where it really came from. They, got, they, they were upset that they weren't asked to participate in that. Wow, the grace of God. That's true grace giving. Our prayer here as a church is that, as a local assembly, that we won't be a hands-out church. What's the supporting church is doing for us? How are they helping us? How are they, how are they taking care of us? But, the, but, but, but I want us to, we want to become a generous church, a generous gathering of the saints that, that, that looks at taking care of not just our own needs, but helping to see the needs of others taken care of, not just our own. Now, these were people that had a hard time with their rent. These were people that had a hard time eating, eating, because you got to understand, they, they, they did not have it. Extreme poverty meant you did not have daily bread in front of you. That's what it meant. In their day, to be poor, our view of poor is just such a, is weak. People in the projects of America today would be way more rich than the people of their day. So being in the projects in their day, before, because you got, you, what you got? You, you can go get food. You got food stamps. And you got clothing. Like a closet. Like in their day, you had daily bread, maybe. You had two outfits. You wore them for a while. Because if you kept washing them, they would wear out. So they barely had daily bread, they barely had covering, and they barely had clothing. But what's powerful is about what Paul says right here. Paul says, he says, begging us earnestly, verse 4, for favor of taking part in the relief of the saints and this, not as we expected, <coughs> but they gave themselves first to the Lord. I like that. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Powerful. Why is that powerful? Because that's the most important place to begin when it comes to generosity. Why? Because most people like John, I mean, uh, Matthew 6.33, everybody likes that passage. Seek ye first his kingdom and all his righteousness, and all these things will be added. And we, we talk about cameras and, and getting the grass cut and a new outfit. He, he told me he'll provide for my needs, but I need, but look at verses 1 through verse 32. Jesus talks about God not worrying about food, not worrying about clothing, and not worrying about covering. If you have those three, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, you have all you need. Well, these people were struggling with food, covering, and clothing. They didn't have it. But somehow, God, through his grace, was impacting their hearts to the point where they said, we want to be a part of this. But they understood God's rubric. His principle was, seek ye first the kingdom. They got in God's presence, saw this kingdom and his righteousness, and that impacted them, and it so impacted them when they heard about the need, they didn't look at, man, I can't give. They started figuring out ways to work it out. Now, they didn't do it through no type of maneuvering. Then he says, and then by the will of God to us. That means they gave it. So they call it an act of grace. But what's so powerful about this passage is really not the Macedonians, because they would say probably in eternity right now, if they're listening, that we're not impressive. They would say, we're pretty, we're pretty unimpressive. There's, there's really one reason why we did this. The only reason why we wanted to take part in this was one huge reason, and that's, this is the reason why every Christian should give. This is the reason why every Christian should be generous, verse 9. 
For you know the grace of God, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason why they were generous. <laughs> the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is what made them generous. How, what, what about the grace of Jesus? Oh, okay, let's, let's, let's dig into the thing. Well, the grace of Jesus Christ, well, the Bible says in, first, in John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus Christ was full of grace and truth. So that means that he was controlled by grace and the right information. But then Titus chapter 2, verse 11 didn't just say he had grace. It said, for the grace of God appeared. So it says grace isn't a, a principle, it's a person. So when Jesus Christ appeared, grace showed up on the scene. You know what I mean? So, so when he showed up on the scene, grace showed up. Now check this out. Then it says he was rich. So you got to understand. See, you can't appreciate how rich Jesus is until you saw how rich he is. You look at Isaiah chapter 6. That's a fly passage. I think we run the holy, holy, holy. That's dope. I think that's booming. But you got to see the riches of Christ. Now, Isaiah, first off, is rock that he's in God's presence. Now, Jesus Christ's outfit is so fly, he never has to take it off and wash it ever. He doesn't sweat it out ever. The, and it, 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 the train of it fills the temple, and when everybody steps on it, it never gets dirty. He's so fly that you can't look at him. So these special beings that are not angels called cherubim hide him. They're his bodyguards, even though he don't need garden. So one stand in front of his face like, I dare you. Another one stand in front of his right hand like, I dare you. Then another one stand on his left hand like, I dare you. And then two are just on him, and his foot is on their back. And, and, and he's surfing on them, holding up on his throne like this. And then when he stands up, they move him around, you know what I'm saying, like that. And he just fly with his, right? But then all of a sudden, so he was rich. Um, angels serving him. He, he got hooks playing all day of his holiness, all day long. He doesn't have a radio. He don't have to tune it. They just do it at the volume that he likes. All day long, bringing him uh, wine, bringing him fruit, whatever he wants, and, it, and the angel just passes it to him behind his wing. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Jesus is chilling eternally and, and hanging out in his glory with his dad and with his spirit, hanging around, chilling with each other, pounding each other up for eternity. However, the fullness of time came. And the Bible says, yet for our sake he became poor. So he said, the father said, it's time, son. He looked, at, he looked at the father. The father looked at him. He said, I'll be back in 33. 33 years, I'll be back. Save my spot now. They just laughed at each other. I love you. <laughs> then the cherubim dismounted from him. They moved themselves. He took off that long robe and left it on his throne. He got off of the angels he was serving. He took off his sandals, took off his ephod and his golden bulletproof vest. And he said, peace out. Heaven wept. And he dove into a seed and became poor. In Bethlehem. Grew up in Galilee. Galilee. Galilee's so bad, people would say, what good, there's nothing good that can come from there. He didn't pick Jerusalem. He didn't pick the fat city. He picked the city that no one would go to. Then as a toddler, I like this part. I like, I like, I like, it, I like it because cause, cause it says he became poor. And what's interesting is as a toddler, he's coming in in Luke chapter 2, he's coming into the temple as a little toddler. I'd have loved this to pay to see Jesus walking into the temple. His parents, a prophet and a prophetess are waiting. 
he comes in, and this little toddler walks in, and his parents has the lowest offering that you can give because they're rich offerings and they're poor offerings. They had two turtle doves and a pigeon. But the Bible says, based on Haggai 2, that the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. But they didn't know that when that toddler walked in, he was filled with the grace of God, filled with the truth of God, and filled with the glory of God. And the glory returned not to a building, but through a person. And he didn't have riches on the outside. He had riches on the He said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of God don't have a crib. So poor he couldn't have a bank, so he got a trickster to hold the bank for him. Walking around, hanging with a dude that smells like fish, a dude that smells like money from different nations, another dude that smells like blood because he likes to stab people because he's a zealot. And he's slain, he's laying up, chilling, hanging in God knows where. The God of heaven who created everything is sleeping in the wilderness. Then somebody gives him a house in Bethany, and all of them have to cram in it. Now, houses back then was a room. What, like, I mean, where's the bathroom? You know, where's the, where's the kitchen? You know, I need to know. No, it was a room. Twelve dudes, stinking, funky dudes that didn't have access to water every day. So poor that Luke 8 says that the women of the rich households had to support the ministry. Jesus was rich? Wow. Our theology off the chain now. Jesus was rich. Don't think you can't explain his poverty away. But what's so powerful about him is although he wasn't physically rich, he was spiritually rich. And it says, so that by his poverty, you might become rich. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, when he died on the cross for our sins, he was treated like a punk, a muck. But in his death, he took on and he was rich in the wrath of God and deficient and removed. God, God, God didn't show off his grace. He removed back and just said, I'm going to bring down the power of my wrath on him. Raise him from the dead, though, by my righteousness, even though he's still gracious, he's still God, he's still merciful. However, I will let him not experience it in his humanity. For you, I will inject him with your sin, making him have your poverty. I'm going to make Jesus impoverished of soul for the first time. And if you believe in him, I'm going to make you rich with his righteousness. Now, I'm going to make you impoverished of my wrath and make you rich with my grace and my mercy and make Jesus rich with my wrath. However, I'm going to bash him, kill him, but he's not guilty. So he had to get up. However, the same way he got up, I won't let you go through all of that, but all you have to do is repent and have faith in that, in him, and that it happened, and you will act as if it already happened because he did it on your behalf. So now you're rich. You fly in the mug in the soul, not outside, though. You know what I'm saying? And so what's beautiful about generosity is our generosity is motivated by the gospel. Because God gave his son, we give. 
Because Jesus gave his life, we give. We don't give anything generously to get. Even though there is a law of reciprocity, sowing and reaping, we're going to talk about that. Law harvest, we're going to talk about a healthy biblical understanding of that. But I don't want us to get there yet. I want you to understand the gospel in this first. That the reason why we give is because God first gave. That motivates our giving. God alone, first off, motivates the giving. Not, it's going to be better next week. And in order to get out of your trial, come to the altar. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's no different than why the 95 Thesis was written 500 years ago. We don't purchase what God can only give us. And we love our brothers and sisters, and we want to be gracious. Don't you go out of here fighting with nobody, crazy. Be gracious how you talk to them about this. But it needs to be talked about because it's a works-based relationship with God. We work because we're saved, not to remain saved. So generosity, y'all, next time you're generous, understand that it's t the generosity flows from the cross and the cross alone, and it empowers it, and it makes you don't get like wake up from it, you know, like, dang, what did I just do? No, the, <laughs> the grace maintains your attitude in it even when it hurts. So they sacrificially give. I want us to become, God wants us to become sacrificial givers. Sacrificial. Why? Because he was first generous and he was a sacrificial giver. Do y'all hear the gospel in that? He sacrificed his son, but he just said, sacrifice what's already mine that I let you hold on to for a little while. But it's not just about giving in the plate. It's about giving everything in our life. That generosity apl applies to everything. And so I'm praying by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that we would be mother church for many other churches. That they would come here and ask for $100,000 and we give it to them. Don't get scared now. That we would plant thousands of churches. Thousands. In the world, not just in America, in the world. And that we would pay salaries of pastors in third world countries to help them to do what God has called. And don't go over there trying to tell them how to do it with their own people. But that we would be flagrantly generous. And that we would, I'm going ahead of the series on myself, but we wouldn't so cake our lives up with so much that generosity is a strain because we've, we've overspent our limits to the point to where generosity hurts, not because it's flowing from the gospel, but because it's flowing from our bad stewardship. So I pray that God would free us in the spirit. I'm getting Holy Ghost now. I pray that God would, in, in Jesus' mighty name, fill us with his spirit, release us from the captivity of every bondage in our life that would cause us not to be generous, that he would release us, that he would break every stronghold that's in the way of generosity in Jesus' mighty name so that we may be able, by Jesus' mighty name, to lavish churches, to lavish communities, and see communities transform through an inner-city church that doesn't have its hands out all the time but always has its hands lifted and God providing. And I'm believing, God, though, that many of you are are going to start businesses, amen, uh, and, and going to be starting the business because of the kingdom, not because of wanting to get loot. Somebody hear me. 
um, um, I'm praying that people will begin to say, man, I want to see how, how I can leverage everything in my life for the kingdom. I want to start a school. I want to start. A, I want to do this. And the proceeds from this is going to go to help the kingdom of God. Instead of working for a cellular phone company, I'm going to start a cellular phone company. And the proceeds, 10% of the proceeds is going to go to church planning, go go to missions, go go to helping college students who are transitioning to the city to be developed, indigenous people groups in the city to buy their own housing. But guess what we're going to tell them the reason why we did it? Because of the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to see God do. Because it's funny, Jerusalem was the mother church, the biggest church. They had about 10 to 20,000 people. And the little churches were the ones that supported it. I'm praying that this type of paradox will happen here in this city. And that God will make us a generous church. Not just clap when somebody else gives us a check. But clap because God so faithfully saw fit to place stuff in your care. And gave you a heart because of Jesus Christ's work to hand that back to him through handing it to others to use it for God's kingdom work. That's why we give. We're not giving to beat you up so that next week things will get better. We're not giving so that you can get a car. We're not giving so that you can get a house. You're not giving for some personal gain. And we'll talk about reciprocity. There's a place for that. But I want us to be very, very careful that we zoom in on our Lord in the hard, grimy way in which he gave himself so that we may be generous. Father, we honor you. We bless you. And thank you for the opportunity to be a part of your work of giving, of grace giving. <laughs> we became rich because of you. you. made him who knew no sin become sin on our behalf. In other words, impoverished. <laughs> I can't imagine, like for me, Lord, I know for all of us, we, it's, it's in infinite ways in which Jesus Christ has been generous to us. And God, we want to have a right response to that, Lord God. And we want to have a right response to that in every single area of our life. Um, generous with mercy, generous with grace, gen generous with discipline, generous with every means of grace that you create, generous in prayer, generous in the word of God, generous in everything, and generous in also giving. Giving, giving to your church, giving to other Christians, and giving to our neighbor our time, all types of things. I, I loot everything, Lord. Maybe there's someone here, God, who doesn't know you. I pray that you would bless that they would trust you as Savior by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, first repenting and trusting Christ as Savior. If you're here and you want to know more about this generous Jesus who gave his life on your behalf, on the back table, we got some cards. We want to fill them out, and our connections team, as always, will connect with you. Because we want, to, we want to connect with you. We want to talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to talk to you about this generous God. Not to, the only thing you're going to get from him on this end, and us talking about this aspect of it, is a relationship, which is everything. Because without a relationship with him, there's nothing in this cruel world. Father, bless the duration of our time as we greet the visitors, as we do offering, as we do communion, announcements, all of that stuff, Lord God, that's important. God, help us by your name um, to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.